Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When the Lord wanted to describe to the disciples how they could recognize the new Paul, the Lord said to them in Acts 9.11, Acts 9.11, the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. That was the distinction. Behold, he prayeth. And that's what the Lord wants to do with us. He wants to look at us and say, behold, he prayeth, because that's the way his children should be. Now, the Lord, again, warns what not to do in prayer. In verse five, when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of streets that they might may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. So here again, the Lord is calling out two practices of prayer that should not be done. It's the practice of standing to be seen of men. Now, it reminds me, again, of another Orthodox rabbi friend of mine who was in my house one time, and we were all there in the living room, and, and in the middle of our conversation, he announced it was time to pray. It was time to pray, and he wanted to know the directions, where's north-south, because he had to pray facing Jerusalem. So, you know, he says he has to pray, so I think, well, okay, that's private. I said, uh, I told him, I said, well, the first bedroom's empty, it's private, why don't you go there to pray? But that was a, oh no, he insisted on praying right there in the living room where we were. And he puts on his big, black, shiny prayer robe, and he prays. Okay, so that was something. And then we went on later on, he couldn't eat at my house because it wasn't kosher, so we had to go to a kosher restaurant so we could eat, okay. So again, we go to this kosher restaurant there on El Cajon Boulevard, and again, it was time for him to pray facing Jerusalem. And so what did he do? There he stood up right in the middle of the aisleway of the restaurant to pray. See, this is all verse five, that they may be seen of men. As a matter of fact, this whole issue here is the reason why I don't fly on El Al anymore from London to Israel, because the Orthodox stand in the aisle of the plane to pray, and you can't get around them to go to the bathroom. So, you know, British Air has my business anyway. So now, the next practice in verse 5 says, standing in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Now, um, you know, I spent some time, as you know, in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia, and it's very common there that, you know, when you're walking down the street, that all of a sudden the church bells ring on the Orthodox churches there, and men will just find a very prominent place next to the sidewalk, and they'll stand right there facing the church, and some of them clap their hands, and some of them, others put their hands out like this, you know, to really show they're praying. And the Lord said about all this in verse five, they have their reward. 
And again, it's the literal, the translation is they have all their reward. They're not going to get anything more. In other words, they're not going to hear the reward of the Lord saying to them in Matthew 25, 23, Matthew 25, 23, the Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. These warnings, all these warnings about how, what not to pray, it's very discouraging. And, you know, and, but the Lord says, don't stop praying because of this. As a matter of fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. It's a, Luke 18.1, Luke 18.1, he said, he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Don't give up. Now, the issue here is that there are two types of prayer. There are two types of prayer. One prayer is heard by God and is effective. This is what's referred to in James 5.16, James 5.16. It's called the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In Psalm 145.18, Psalm 145.18, it says, the Lord is near unto all that call upon him. He says, the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. Then it goes on to say, to all that call upon him in truth. And it's that last part, to all that call upon him in truth, that tells us about the prayer that's not effective, that goes nowhere, that never rises, like the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18, Luke 18, 10, that says, two men went up into the temple to pray the one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee and stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men, as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes at all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as lift up his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, the Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So the proud Pharisee in Luke 18.11, Luke 18.11 is described as the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. He was praying with himself. He wasn't praying to God. It reminds me of a Sunday when a preacher prayed a very long, eloquent prayer at Park Street Church, which is right on Boston Commons, is downtown Boston, you know where that is, and prayed a very long, eloquent prayer. Well, there was a newspaper reporter in the congregation, and the next day, the newspaper reporter wrote in the paper, that was the most beautiful prayer ever prayed to a congregation, is the way he put it. <laughs> now the Lord directs what to do in order to avoid praying to be seen of men. And he says in verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So the Lord says, go to the most private place to pray, and the most private place to pray is the closet of your heart. It's the inner closet of your heart. And a person can be in a very crowded public place and retreat to this inner closet of the heart to pray. I mean, it reminds me what, and I used to, you know, we had an office in Tokyo for 10 years, and I used to travel to business appointments in Tokyo during 
rush hour and then return. And I always went through Shinjuku Station because that's where I, my hotel is close to. Shinjuku Station. Well, Shinjuku Station is a station where 3.5 million people go through that station every day. Can you imagine that? <laughs> that's the population of San Diego going through this Shinjuku Station. What station? Every day. And they were so crowded that everybody would rush onto the subway cars that they had train workers with white gloves and their job was to shove and push the people in so the doors could shut. <laughs> so you might be standing there and you think, this is good, this is my space. And all of a sudden people are pressed in against you. They're smashed in there and you're there with thousands of people and you don't know one of them. You're a total stranger. But during those subway rides, I would retreat to the inner closet of my heart. And I used to have wonderful times of prayer. And the Lord said something very important when you do that, retreat into the inner closet of the heart, and that's in verse 6, shut thy door. Now, to shut the door means to keep out intruders, to keep out unwanted guests. And it refers to who are the intruders, who are the unwanted guests? Those are the distracting thoughts. Those are the thoughts that compete for our attention and our focus. So to shut the door means to refuse to listen to these screams of the urgent. You know, oh, you forgot this. Oh, you need to take care of this now, or you know, it's not gonna get done and the world's gonna come to an end. And so, so to shut the doors is to refuse to be pulled away. It's refuse to say to the Lord, hold on, Lord, I'll be right back. You know, this is what these people did to the Lord in Luke 9, 59. Luke 9, 59, when it says, and he said unto another, follow me, and he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the gospel. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. Let me first go bid, my, bid them farewell, which are at home in my house. So the problem is this, let me first. And to shut the door is never to say to the Lord, let me first go, I'll be right back, no. Shut the door is to take the position of Nehemiah. He's called to do this great work, build the wall around Jerusalem. And then the call comes, leave the work and come down to this valley and have a discussion. And Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6.3, Nehemiah 6.3, and I sent messages unto them saying, I am doing a great work and so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? So shut the door is to take that Nehemiah position of, this is a great work in prayer. I'm not coming away. Distractions that pull us away from prayer is the greatest obstacle that you and I face in prayer. That's it. And that's why it's so important to shut the door. Turn the cell phone off, the ringing of the thoughts. Take the phone off the hook and go into the inner closet of the heart. That's what's meant by shut thy door. Now, the Lord says in verse six that we are to pray to our Father in secret. That means, that means that when we go into the inner closet of our hearts to pray, no one should know that we're praying. It's in secret, it's a secret. No one on that jammed rush hour Tokyo subway knew that I was praying. It's a secret, it was secret. Now, this is why I believe that prayer shawls should not be worn because they advertise to everybody around that you're praying. That'd be something if I was on the jam Tokyo subway and I managed to wiggle my arm, my briefcase, and put on this prayer shawl and start up with our Father which art in heaven or Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu. <laughs> that would have been interesting. Anyway, so the Lord now gives two more warnings about prayer in verse seven. 
He says, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as a heathen do, for they think that they should be heard for their much speaking. Now, this is the problem of vain repetitions. And actually, it's kind of interesting because the Greek word is metallogeste, which comes from the word batus, batus, which was the name of a Greek king, and King Batus had a problem because he always stuttered. So that's kind of in the background of this word, vain repetitions, the stammering, the stuttering. Now, the Lord now is going to give a prayer that's intended as a model. It's the Lord's Prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But it has become another vain repetition where there's no thought. You know, I will never ask a Sunday morning congregation to stand up and to pray, our Father which art in heaven, and then give us this day our daily bread, because they all had breakfast. And furthermore, they many have a roast in the oven when they come home for lunch. So this prayer, give us our, our daily bread, it never goes any farther than the ceiling because there's no thought behind it. It's just repeating. So what the Lord is saying here is that don't use these prayers superstitiously or like repeating the same words with beads, prayer beads. Now, about long prayers, about long prayers, the scribes and the Pharisees, he addresses them in Matthew 23, 14. Matthew 23, 14, when he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. Therefore, you shall receive the greater damnation. Oh, man. Now, this last week, I spent some time with my middle son, Joseph, down in Loretto, and I noticed that, you know, he puts the food out, and he doesn't pray out loud, you know. And, and I asked him, I said, well, are we on a rebellion against prayer now? What's going on? <laughs> and he says, he stopped doing this because he said, people are turning the prayer to thank God for food for the eating into a prayer meeting where they're praying all around the world. And in the end, they forget to even thank God for the food anyways. So Solomon addresses this in Ecclesiastes 10.14, Ecclesiastes 10.14, when he says, a fool also is full of words full of words. Now, it's this repetition. You know, someone may be praying, and he keeps asking God and saying the same words to God, you know, as every question, you know, it's like, okay, God heard it the first time. So on Mount Carmel, there were prophets of Baal, and then there was God's prophet, Elijah, and we have a record of their prayer. And in 1 Kings 18.26, 1 Kings 18.26, talks about first the prophets of Baal. It says they took the bullock, which was given them, they dressed it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no any that answered, and they leaped upon the altar that they made. So just picture that. From morning to noon, hours, they kept saying the same words, O Baal, hear us. They just kept repeating that. By contrast, when it came time for Elijah to pray, afternoon, then he prays, in 1 Kings 18.36, 1 Kings 18.36, it says, it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, so it's evening now, that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering. So the difference between the prayer of the prophets of Baal, 
what they're just repeating, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us, oh, Baal, hear us. And Elijah was that the prophets of Baal just kept this repetition, words over and over and over and over again. Whereas when Elijah prayed, you could see he put thought into his prayer. His prayer had a direction. His prayer had reason to it. And this is what Job talked about in prayer, that he said he's gonna do that in Job 9.14. Job 9.14, he was talking about answering God. He said, Job 9.14, how much less shall I answer him and choose out my words to reason with him? He's like a lawyer. You know, if you go in front of a judge and you keep saying the same thing, you're gonna be thrown out of court. But lawyers spend a lot of time choosing the words of their brief, choosing the words of what they're gonna say to the judge to reason. And this is what Job said in Job 9.14, I'll choose out my words to reason with him. So in order to choose out the words to reason with God, it means don't use superstitious repeating of the same words or beads and so forth. It's easy for us to, to do this. It's easy for us to fall into this trap, you know, with Christianese phrases where we don't even think about what we're saying, but we just repeat the same words, you know. So the Lord speaks of another problem in prayer in verse six, uh, verse eight, verse eight, where he says, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. So he says, this is a problem if you're praying and you don't understand that God knows what you have need of before you ask him. So this is the same truth, your father knows what you have need of before you ask him, that God said to Israel, God said to Israel in Isaiah 65, 24. Isaiah 65, 24 says, and it shall come to pass before they call, I will answer. And while they're speaking, I will hear. Now, this is hard for us you know, because, you know, we come rushing to God and, and we, you know, it's, hear these things, you know, you're, you're gonna answer before I call? Wait a minute, how can God answer before I call? I haven't told him everything yet. It's so easy for us to treat God like our mother that we're calling on the phone and we're telling her what happened. And what the Lord is telling us about prayer is that we don't have to go into such details about the problems. Like we're bringing news to God, you know, like we're trying to bring God up to speed, you know, what's happening here. No, he says, uh, Prayer, and so this is the point about prayer from what he said, your father knows you have a need of, before you ask him. Prayer is not meant to inform God. That's not the purpose of prayer. That's not the meaning of prayer. Well, if prayer is not meant to inform God, then what is prayer meant for? Prayer is not for God's benefit. Prayer is not for God's benefit to find out information. It's not to bring him up to speed on what's happening. Prayer is not for God's benefit. Prayer is for man's benefit, it's for our benefit. And what are the benefits that we get from prayer? One, prayer is meant to set before us our dependence on God. By asking God and then seeing God give what we ask for, that strengthens our dependence on God. And this was Israel's problem. When they didn't understand this in Hosea 2.8, Hosea 2.8, when God said about Israel, she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. So prayer helps us, prayer helps us to see the truth of James 1.17. James 1.17 says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So, and especially when we give thanks to God in prayer, 
That helps us to see that everything is coming from God. So that's the first thing it does. It helps us to strengthen our dependence on God, to recognize our dependence on God, and to see everything comes from God. Second benefit for us, prayer, it's meant to humble man. You know, it says in 1 Peter 5, 6, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. So that's a command that we are to humble ourselves. But how do you do that? How do you humble yourself? You just walk around and you say, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. How do you humble yourself? Well, we humble ourselves by prayer because the more we pray, the more we were humbled. That's a good thing. The more we are humbled. So that's a benefit. Prayer, prayer is meant to humble us. Prayer is also meant to wake up inside of us desire for God in heaven. That's what prayer is meant for. It's meant to awaken us to, to stir up our desire for prayer in heaven. It, it helps us to focus our desire for God. It increases our desire for God. Like David said in Psalm 38, 9, Psalm 38, 9, Lord, all my desire is before thee. The way the prayer does this is that it turns our attention away from ourself and towards God. And the more that a person puts their attention on themselves, the more God withdraws from that person. And the extreme case of this in the Bible, of putting attention on self and God withdrawing from that person, is seeing in what happened to Herod. What happened to Herod in Acts 12.21? Acts 12.21, it says, upon a certain set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, gave up the ghost. So that's an extreme case of a person who puts so much attention on himself and God withdrawing from the person. And now another command that's given to us in Scripture is in Colossians 3.2. Colossians 3.2 says, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then surely you also appear with him in glory. So how do you do that? How do you set your affections on things? How do you set your interests on things above? How do you set your love on things above? And the answer is by prayer, by prayer. Prayer causes us to love God. Sincere prayer, fervent prayer, thoughtful prayer causes us to love God and to want to be with God. And that's a good thing. That's a benefit for us. And then prayer strengthens our relationship with God. It makes our relationship with God stronger. Just by starting, the Lord is going to give us a model here, and the model starts off with our Father. But just by starting prayers with the word Father, strengthens our relationship with God. I told you last week I was with my middle son, Joseph in Loretto. I never realized, it was really great to hear him call me dad. It was better than Tom, but he is what he called me dad. And it strengthens the relationship when you say that. Romans 8.15, Romans 8.15 talks about that, us calling God dad. Romans 8.15, you have not received the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. In Galatians 4.6, Galatians 4.6 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of a son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So every prayer that we make is like a letter that we send from earth to God in heaven. 
in our prayer, it starts off with an address. You know, our Father, the Lord Jesus, it has an address, and it's always God. It's never angels, it's never saints, it's never Mary. And so this is important. Now, another benefit of prayer is that prayer, it encourages our hope in God. It encourages our hope in God. Because when we pray, we turn with our needs and, and we hope in God, or we turn with requests that builds up our hope in God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 